Let me quick start on a slide that we already did to point one thing out, and then I'll go to the next slideshow. This is from last time, which was December 4th. Uh, Brian asked that we look at this one more time. <clears throat> I thought of an application of this, and I think it's very important. This is about uh, not, uh, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. So this is from last time, and then I'll close this slideshow and go to the one that we have that was for today's handout. So before we do that, let's start with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the, the truth and the gospel, Christian fellowship. Help us to uh, uh, love the truth and love one another and pray for those who are hurting and reach out to people. And we pray that our minds would be renewed by your word as we study it and believe what you've said. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So from last time. I can't say last week, this was December 4th. Let me make an application. It's been something I've been talking about, and we just did some stuff. There we go. On the, our podcast that we recorded yesterday about this. Notice in uh, 20 and 21, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repenting, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the point that we made in our uh, recording of podcast yesterday was about this uh, did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Now, what we're going to see as we go forward that there's a parallel statement that will come up where he says that he declared the whole purpose of God. And so the claim that we made uh, when we were recording podcast yesterday was this. What God has revealed in, in the scriptures is profitable. Okay, remember Deuteronomy 29, 29. Secret things belong to God. What's revealed is for you. And, and so what God has revealed is profitable. And one of the things that's wrong that needs to be corrected, and I don't know how it'll ever happen, is that Christendom and churches and pastors and even evangelicalism takes the liberty of not covering whatever they don't like. And as we're doing this podcast on the New, um, New Apostolic Reformation, we notice that the writing will take a verse, ignore the context, ignore what the point was, and then make a whole theology out of one verse taken out of context. That's exactly what this Dutch Sheets does. And there's so many examples of this. We've been on the same thing for like 22 episodes now. Every chapter has enough heresies that uh, it's just what the movement's all about. So do we have the liberty? Here's the question. 
do the elders of the local church have the liberty to delete what they don't like and only share what fits what we think people should be doing and believing. That's exactly what happens. And I say that elders who's, who are the people being addressed here are required to make sure that the whole counsel of God is taught to the people of God. And I thought of an illustration from current events, which I typically don't do, but this time I'm going to do it. What is going on in our country right now is that some of the biggest things that are happening, most people don't even know are happening because the mainstream, the the people, yeah, the people who normally would be telling you the news choose to ignore everything but what they want to tell you. Amen. Okay? So, um, for example, the fact that we don't have a border on the South and the details of what's going on. So I'm watching the news every day, and I'm watching this guy that's down there been reporting on it continually. Uh, I think his name is Malusian or whatever. Details, people dying and ran, people, ranchers finding dead people, their property, uh, hospitals going broke because they can't afford to solve the problem. People are coming. And uh, I've, this is sort of coming up because if you talk to people that don't watch that, they don't even know. They don't think there's a problem. Okay, so that's a serious problem. Now, here is a lesser to greater argument based on this. Here's the greater. The lesser, if you can believe it, is what's going on at the southern border. The greater is what's going on in churches. If it is wicked for secular news people to ignore the main things going on in the country because they have their own ideas, they don't want you to know about it, how much more wicked is it for elders and pastors and preachers to not tell people what God said. Amen. Because these things are eternal. This has to do with forgiveness of sins. This has to do with our souls and with our, our sanctification and our hope. And we just have huge mega churches where they'll never tell you a word about it. So Jessica and I have been doing this, these podcasts for a long time on the New Apostolic Reformation. And the book we've been using, is they're still teaching the same things. They don't think the issues like forgiveness of sins and eternal life are worth even talking about. Everything's about getting a revelation so you get a better outcome. So we're dealing with that. So dear ones, if you're disgusted as I am with the secular news media not telling you the whole story, how much more should we be disgusted when the preachers aren't interested in anything that's profitable or the whole counsel of God? And he tells us what this is. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Here's the point. 
it's, it's, it's really hard to do it. I don't know how this will change other than a miracle of God's grace, but we can at least point it out. Every elder, pastor, people that are responsible for the local church is responsible to make sure that what God has revealed, which Deuteronomy 29, 29, the things God has revealed are taught to the people of God and that we have biblical worldview based on what God has said. And uh, this is last week, by the way, well, I'm going to get to the current one. Reveal truth. Paul did not avoid key topics to please man. And this is exactly the whole, the mega church, secret sensitive, um, emergent is so far gone. It's, they don't even have such things coming judgment. Repentance to be preached to all. So I covered this on December 4th. And that's the point I want to make. Now, let me get to the days here. Thanks for allowing me to say that. I thought maybe the illustration might help us see how serious it is. Because I haven't seen this in my lifetime where the most important news events that affect everybody. I talk to people, they don't even know what's happening. Uh, and they're whatever channel they watch the news, they don't even know. They don't even realize five million people invade the country, selling drugs, killing people, overwhelming cities, bankrupting hospitals or making them $40 million in debt because they take care of people that show up. And uh, they don't know. They don't know. So how, how much worse is it for preachers not to tell us what God said because they don't feel like it? Or they'd rather have a big church full of mostly lost people who never hear the gospel and be successful in the eyes of their peers than to tell people the truth what God said. Paul said that he didn't fail. He did not shrink back from declaring the whole purpose of God. So if you know it, why not teach it? Eric, do you remember? I want to tell, ask Eric something. Remember when you and I sat with Dr. Eliason? Yes. And um, the turning point in that discussion. Why don't you share how we met? I'll get to the right slide here. Yeah, when I was in seminary and I met Bob, they weren't teaching the full counsel of God. And I was very excited as a former airline pilot to come to seminary. I had a four-year degree in ministries at Northwestern. Well, I go to Bethel, and I think we're just going to dive into the doctrines of Christ. And I didn't know anything about the emerging church, but they were inundated with that. As Bob said, they don't even believe that truth can be had. It's, it's inaccessible. And so I had called Bob out of the blue. He didn't know me from Adam. And uh, he graciously came out and met me. I think it was on a Thursday. And we confronted the provost. I think the provost turned three sheets of white when they saw Bob DeWay come into the office. <laughs> but I remember one thing that we had coined in that meeting was Bob called it file cabinet theology, where Bob confronts the provost and he says, well, you say you believe this, this, and this. And they'll turn around in the file cabinet and say, oh, yeah, we believe that. But it's never taught by any of the professors in the classrooms. It's um, the, the way that applies to the churches. It's never a really taught from the pulpit. 
And so Bob opened up his notebook and he turned page to page and he said, you know, we used to learn these things in this institution about baptism, about the doctrine of original sin. And he went through it and he closed his notebook and he said to the provost, how is he going to minister or any other future pastor if they're not teaching the doctrines of the faith here? Well, at that point, the provost looked at Bob and looked at me and he said, well, how much of your money do you want back? <laughs> um, ironically, he went back. I wanted my money back to make the point. It wasn't about the money. But um, just real quick, I had a, one of the professors that really set me off. His name is Laurent Schultz. And now he's a committed atheist. But at the time, he was fooling these people into they thought maybe he was a Christian. But he denied things like separation of body and soul at hell. Um, I'm sorry, at death. Well, then when you asked him, what's your evidence for that? In his book, he would talk about a dynamite explosion where a man named Phineas Gage took shrapnel to the head, and he had an altered personality, but he was still the same person. And I thought, well, that's natural revelation. It's obscure at that, supplanting divine revelation. And at that point, I realized that divine revelation had no place at Bethel Seminary. And Bob rebuked them and showed them their fault, but they wouldn't listen and they never repented. You know from what it. that group's called now? No, what are they called? Converge. Oh, They're converge. part of this thing called Converge. Yes. It's a Hegelian synthesis. It was emergent, and then it converges to a new reality. Yeah. So, uh, so it goes with Christendom and church history. So that's really my interest right now is to define the church biblically and don't allow Christendom and church history to define the church. Because the people who gave us the Bible were appointed by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and spoke true, binding, authoritative words that are inerrant. Church history has a lot to learn. We can learn from it, but it's mostly what not to do. Let's go on to the today's topic, which... Christy pointed out timely in a, in a way. Notice what it says here. Um, Acts 20, 22, and 23. Now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, saying, bonds and affliction await me. So he is on his way to Jerusalem. And a lot of things happen on the way. Remember how um, there's interaction with Agabus. There are people warning him that there's problems there and bad things are going to happen. But he is determined to go to Jerusalem. And I think the last time I taught, I may have already talked about this, but there is an analogy with Jesus's trip to Jerusalem to be rejected, which starts in uh, Luke 9:51 and goes to the entry into Jerusalem. And in that case, Jesus set his face, which is terminology from the Old Testament prophets, to go to Jerusalem. And then the travel narrative goes all the way. Oh, I preached on it. That's what I did. So I alluded to it in Sunday school, and then the next week, I preached on it in a couple of weeks. So last time I preached, it was on that topic. The center of the narrative is Luke 13. 
okay? And it's on that same topic. So what's going on is that after Jesus exodus and he ascends all the way to heaven, pours out the spirit, now we have the church, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost parts of the world. So as the, that uh, is laid out in Acts, and Samaritans come to the Lord, um, God-fearing Gentiles come to the Lord, and now Paul is going back through, through uh, Asia Minor, Miletus, Ephesian elders, is who he's talking to. He's going to Jerusalem to be rejected. Now, the thing that's so similar, not that Paul is the same as Jesus. Jesus is unique. He's God incarnate, the creator who's in heaven and poured out the spirit and standing is at the right hand of God. All right, now, but this is really nailing down the theme of Luke Acts that the Jerusalem rejects prophets and therefore... This is what's going to happen. So bound by the spirit would remind us as we're reading Luke Acts of Jesus setting his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. And and they're warning him. Remember on the way to Jerusalem, someone said, be it far from you. The son of man must be rejected. At one point, I think it was Peter said, oh, no, don't let that happen. And he, and he rebukes him. No, 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 this is what I must do. The same thing happens to Paul. He's on his way, and people are trying to tell him not to go. Agabus predicted what would happen when he went there. And then later, and Paul said, um, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? He's going to go. Now, the question is, some people have said he should have listened to the prophet and not gone. That's not what Luke is telling us uh, Brian, could you look up Acts 23, 11? Do you have a red letter Bible? Oh, absolutely. That's all you read. <laughs> Always emergent, the red letter. And it's a King James. Oh, okay. So Acts 23, 11. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Okay, so now, who was that that talked to Paul there? Don't quit yet. I'm asking you a question. Was that the Lord Jesus himself? That was himself? Jesus talking to him. And he stood by his side. He stood by his side. Was that objective or just an idea in his mind? No, that's uh, pretty, That was really the Lord. Objective. And he said later, when, when Jesus appeared to him, he said, and, and I will appear to you. So again, here's Jesus there with Paul. Now, look at the issue there. When Jesus said, as you testified in Jerusalem, you also must in Rome, must day, divine necessity. Did Jesus here, literally talking to Paul, imply that Paul failed by going to Jerusalem? No. No. So where does that come from? How many times have I heard people say um, he wasn't supposed to go, but he did, and that's why all this bad stuff happened? It's usually people that believe in these Latter-day Apostles and prophets. They should have listened. He should have listened to Agabus, but Agabus told him what would happen, not that he shouldn't go, because according to Luke Acts, prophets 
to go to Jerusalem are rejected, yes. If, if Jesus or the Holy Spirit is encouraging somebody or us to do something, it would be a good idea to do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, this says bound by the Spirit. Go ahead, uh, Eric. You know, Bob, it reminds me of uh, two different categories regarding the prophets. Think about Agabus and think about what prophets do. Prophets, we like to break down what they do between two categories. One is foretelling, which is foretelling the future, but the other is forthtelling, where they're telling people morally or ethically what God demands. In Agabus's prophecy regarding Paul, he's not forthtelling, saying it's sinful for you to go to Jerusalem. Therefore, it's not morally binding upon Paul not to go to Jerusalem. What Agabus is doing is foretelling, as Bob said, what would happen. So keep that in mind when you're looking at the prophets. Are they foretelling or are they forthtelling? And that will help to determine what's morally binding and what's not. Right. Hey, by the way, I think I'm up to speed with Eric now. Look at this. Is that working? <laughs> the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying bonds and afflictions await me. So I point out here, it's an echo of Luke 9.51. Other passages in Luke speak travel to Jerusalem and rejection. Preached on that a couple weeks ago. Luke 19.44 speaks of visitation. Oh yes, visitation. In the Bible, first of all, do you know what a visitation is? Visitation would be when God comes to inspect. What's the word for uh, presbyter? No, not presbyters. Uh, episcopos, overseers. That word, episcopos, or, uh, it would mean to look upon, to oversee. So there are times in the Bible where God visits and he looks and see what's good. Not that he doesn't know. But this makes it very tangible. When God visits, what happens? Yeah, both things happen. Judgment and salvation. That happened at the time of Noah. Noah was saved and his family. Others were judged. It happens at Babel as they scattered. So a visitation means a crisis. So God comes on the scene and visits and the time of visitation for Jerusalem. Now, as I said in that sermon, Jerusalem there isn't standing for everyone there because there were exceptions. Some Pharisees believed. There were disciples. There were others who believed. But the leadership in general, the, the Sanhedrin, the people that made the decisions, the visitation was God the Son visiting Jerusalem. And what happened when he came there was they rejected him. But that was part of God's purpose because God raised him from the dead. He appeared in, in Luke 24 to his disciples. And so some are judged and some are saved. The majority are judged. So that was a visitation of God. So Luke 19.44 says that... Um, <clears throat> In fact, if you want to turn there, Luke 
1941 to 44. I'll read it. We're on this right here. And when, the, when, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Luke 1941. Luke 1942, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. This is a divine passive by God as judgment, but also as salvation, because Messiah is predicting the Old Testament to be rejected. Peace, by the way, what's that got to do with Jerusalem? Shalom, Jerusalem, the, the city, the place of peace. For the days will come upon you, Luke 19:43, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, Luke 19:44, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This was God, the Son, visiting the city of peace. The Prince of Peace comes to the city of peace, and they would rather make a deal with the Romans. They'd rather have uh, political machinations, uh, and they reject the, the, the the Savior. I like that last part there. They did not recognize the time of your visitation. Well, that's true for every person on the planet who was ever born. If you don't recognize the Messiah, you'll be judged. Right. And so now we have the church history from Pentecost, the last days, start from Pentecost till the rapture. Um, we're in that period. And whether we listen or not depends on how we respond to the gospel and the people that come preaching it. And whether we have a hunger for the truth, whether we love the truth. Jesus confronted in John 8 um, the people who said they believed. And he said, if you continue in my word, You'll be my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they listened to him, and they said, well, you're insulting us. We've never been, we've never been in bondage. We don't have any bondage. We have whole churches. Some of the bigger churches in America are full of people that don't know they were ever in bondage. And they're insulted if you tell them they are. Because they don't believe they need a savior. They don't believe they need forgiveness of sins. It's the same thing. Well, what happened in John 8? It all comes down to they say he has a demon. He's from the devil. They believe the lie. He is the truth. So how do you respond to Jesus? Yes. Yeah, that comes down to the visitation, just like yeah. you're saying. The visitation yep. is the church is Pentecost is Jesus Christ preaching the gospel, right. believe in the gospel. That's our visitation. Right. That's the whole church age, the visitation that happened 2,000 years ago. Yeah, whenever we bring the gospel to people, biblically, then it creates a crisis. If you're lost 
I don't care religious, not religious, whatever state anybody's in, if you don't really know Christ and someone preaches the gospel, it creates a crisis. And it, the outcome doesn't always happen immediately, but there is a crisis. So here's the gospel preacher saying, you need to turn to Christ or you're lost. The wrath of God is real. Hell is real. You need to turn to him. Here's the evidence that he is who he says he is. Creates a crisis. Now, what they didn't have in Acts, this is what is consuming my, every day I think about this, every day, literally. What would happen if we could understand Christianity without our minds being tainted by Christendom? There was no Christendom. Okay, so here, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said, you must also testify in Rome, which was the center of all of the commerce at that time and the travel and the ideas. He went to Athens. Okay, there was no option when someone says, here's Christ, here's who he is, here's what he said, here's why you must repent, here are the issues. Well, I think I'll go down to the church that already agrees with me that I don't need that. There were no church saying that. They were just pagan religions. You couldn't go to the Universalist church because they didn't have one. You couldn't go to the uh, we are God's people because we are who we are. They didn't have popes, cardinals, bishops. They didn't have all of this stained glass windows with giant spires trying to reach into heaven, which is trying to recreate Babel. They just had people gathered around Christ and the gospel. And if you rejected it, where else are you going to go? Somewhere else. Now we have problems like in Corinth where they're trying to paganize the church, but Paul wouldn't have anything. So we have a different situation. Not really. What's different is people think they can go be religious without actually repenting and call it Christian. That's what's different. And you can just go back to whatever it was and hope that your relatives buy you out of purgatory. Or you can repent and believe the gospel. And so the visitation is just as real, but there's more ways to confuse it. So that's why Paul said, I did not fail to, to declare to you anything that was profitable. That's what's missing. That's what people don't get. That's why that, I'll never forget our meeting, the first time I met Eric, and I'm showing the guy in charge. This is what I learned less than 10 years ago, and we were covering these things. They had the greatest teachers. They got rid of them and went to seek her, and they didn't have it anymore. I, I, you know, I really don't get that. Maybe it's because I grew up in a liberal church that didn't believe in miracles, didn't believe in anything but just better living through religion. I left it. Not because I was a Christian, because I could be a pagan without any help from the church. And I thought, I'd just do that. But when I was converted, I went back and talked to the, the, the pastor they had at that time. He still didn't believe the Bible was true. And... Um, 
That's the thing. If you're going to be a Christian, you need to have a hunger for the whole counsel of God. And the gospel of grace is exactly that. It's about God gives grace to sinners. Yes. Uh, Back at the beginning of December, when we were on this subject, I remember making a comment, and I had a play on words, profitable and profitable. Okay? And uh, people like Dutch Sheets and a lot of other churches under the heading of Christendom, if they teach God's word as if everything was profitable, then it's not profitable for them. So what happens is if they preach the whole counsel of God, now they're offending people and the people get mad and leave. But people like Duck Sheets, they want to preach what is profitable for their own theology, which is dominion now. And if they can't keep the people paying and hanging on with no real biblical basis, then it does them no good profitably. Yeah, I don't know that they're all motivated by money, but they're motivated by power, or they actually believe their own lives. You know, all those decrees that they made, and Jessica and I did a couple of podcasts on that. Um, you, you found that for us. Well, and the decrees are, they happened? didn't happen. What happened? They didn't happen. So and they never, the false apostles and prophets never admit they were wrong and they failed. That's right. And what we're talking about is, I heard all the same stuff in the 70s when I was in the movement. And this is going to be the great move of God and there's going to be better. All this stuff is going to happen. And when it all fails, they don't give up. They just keep going back to the same thing. What good is it if you're not accountable to anything? New revelations don't create accountability. The word of God does. Quickly, Luke 168. Let me read it. It's a preview of salvation. Luke 168. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited. There's our word where we get our word for uh, overseers, episcopos. Here it's a verb, episkeptomai, that's a deponent verb, uh, has visited and redeemed a people. That's Luke 168. Now, who said that? Was that, who was, who was uh, speaking? Zacharias? Zechariah. So the, the people that spoke are prophesying about what's going to happen. Messiah hadn't come yet, but this was a preview of salvation. Luke has, in Acts, has reviews and previews. See, I have a pointer now, Eric. I, I'm up to speed. Now, Luke. Yeah, I'm still. I'd rather produce material than get my technology up to date. Uh, yeah, it's a miracle. <laughs> Nevertheless, now I'm going to review. I'm not going to stop on this because I did a whole sermon on this. Okay, so you can hear the sermon from, what was that? Uh, what, uh, recently, the last one I preached. So I want to go on. Acts 20, 24. This is an interesting thing that is happening here today. Uh, and I'll read it and tell you a little story about it. 
uh, Acts 20, 24. But I do not consider my life of any account, Paul said, as dear to myself, so I might finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus that I've in read to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So, I have the Greek here in my notes, but I won't uh, tarry on that long here. So, this is in response to the Holy Spirit through Agabus and others and directly testifying that afflictions and persecution await Paul as he goes to Jerusalem. The same was said about Jesus who died there. Okay? Paul's going to Jerusalem. Now, in response to that, he said, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. In other words, whatever happens there, I'm going. Now, there's also this, another version of the offering that he's bringing. That is not even mentioned until after he gets there because intervening events made things worse. Remember, he wanted to get an offering to take care of the saints in Jerusalem. But when he got there, the whole thing was blowing up, including with the church. Some of the people that were against Paul were Christians. James warned him about those when he got there. James, the half-brother of the Lord. And what's going on is a battle about whether the church headquarters is going to be in heaven with Jesus at the right hand of God and you have the authority of scripture and the priesthood of every believer or you're going to have two churches one that's based in Jerusalem based on the law of law, more law keeping and the other of Gentiles that would be different would be more like synagogues it wasn't going to be that way Jerusalem was not going to be the headquarters of the church. That's really what was at issue. And some people want that and wanted that. So the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, not narrated in the New Testament, was significant, and Luke is focused on that. Now, what will Jerusalem be the headquarters of next before it becomes the center of the millennium. Whose headquarters is going to be in Jerusalem? Antichrist. Antichrist. It's going to be even worse before we finally get to Jesus and reigning on earth from Jerusalem. So now we're in the church age, right? From Pentecost until the rapture, here we are. 2,000 years. Now, what's true during those 2,000 years? That's what I'm more interested in right now in my life than anything else. It's people. The, the essence of it is this. The authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer. There's one high priest, and that's Jesus Christ. He's a priest forever. And the, the atonement, the sacrifice he made, was made once for all. 
according to Hebrews and elsewhere. So everyone who believes the gospel receives forgiveness of sins, born of the Spirit, has direct access to the throne of grace. And Jesus Christ is the head over every single believer. Whoever, the moment a person is regenerated, joined to the head, whoever they may be, Jew or Gentile, horribly sinful, then redeemed, grew up in a church, it doesn't matter where you came from. That moment, the lowliest to us believer has direct access to the heavenly throne room. Who he hears us. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Yeah, and that we and at this point we don't know who's the greatest. That's liberating. That material, First Corinthians three, is amazing and very liberating. We can't. It's great to know we don't know. Am I greater than somebody else? I don't know. Am I doing well with whatever gifts God gave me? I don't know. And it doesn't matter. That's only for God to know it later. Don't go on passing judgment before the time. And I hope as God gives us the opportunity to go through the rest of 1 Corinthians, if you look at the list of the different gifts, it's anything and everything. Hospitality, helps, service, prophets, apostles. There's a lot of things mentioned, but in the context of what really matters is that we're part of the body and that we do things biblically. And that has been true throughout the church age. But what happened is Christendom doesn't like that. We want the headquarters on earth now. And we'll figure out a place to make it. Um, It may be the Vatican City. The first group I was a part of was Assemblies of God. Their headquarters is in Springfield. Some of the preachers used to joke about that. Well, maybe Springfield is the headquarters. But see, the point is, the headquarters is at Christ at the right hand of God. Does that make sense? And it's been true, and it is true. Now, what's different? Let me tell the story so I don't forget. Right here, Christy asked me to mention this it was exactly 12 years ago no 10 years ago 10 years ago excuse me 10 years ago was about the time we started this church this little fellowship called gospel of grace and uh, the first sermon that i preached was in january 2012 is that right 13 2013 got it 10 years ago and Eric wasn't sure what he was going to do Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do 
we had a meeting in Brian Beers' living room. Not we, just Brian and me and a few people. And we ended up in a hotel and decided to have a fellowship. And this is where the name came from, Gospel of Grace. So I thought of that, and Eric wasn't so sure about what was going to happen, but he ended up uh, being our pastor. And uh, twisted his arm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, why? Why is Gospel of Grace? Doesn't make us more significant than anybody else, but it's the only thing we have. Yeah, you know, we don't have status. We don't have power. And, all the things that people might look for, but who does anybody have anything but the gospel of grace? I believe God has his elect scattered in Christendom. So normally you'd look for, now some people don't believe there's any elect, but they're there whether you believe they exist or not. I like that book by John W. Kennedy, Torch of the Testimony. He's talking about the revival of America when the gospel being preached by, I think, Wesley and Whitfield, was it? And he says in the book, in the ones that believed in one sense, uh, chose Christ, chose to believe, and the others found out they were God's elect. Well, it's the same people. <laughs> All right, so the, I believe that there are people sitting in mega churches evangelical churches, liberal churches, Catholic churches, Lutheran churches. There's all these, I guess it's in the billions. There are lost people. And if they come to the gospel, the thing that they need is to gather with other Christians and search the scriptures and be part of the family of God and understand things biblically. They don't need cathedrals. They don't need massive amounts of money. They don't need popularity with the culture. They need one another. And more importantly, they need the Lord. That's what it boils down to. And when we talk about the whole counsel of God, anything is profitable. The problem is denominational Christianity creates boundaries that rules out some of the things God's revealed. We believe this, and that's why we're right. Well, but what if there's something that's part of the whole counsel of God that's not part of your tradition? Well, then you just go somewhere else. You don't need to go here. I've talked to people, said, well, I went to the pastor and said, will you preach the gospel? Can we hear about the word of God? Can we hear about how God graciously changes us? And the answer is, I think you'd be happy in a different, happier in a different church. It's kind of like Eric with how much of your money you want back. We got none of it. Um, no, this isn't optional. What's profitable is not optional. It's necessary. Here's some of my points here. The first part of this verse, I'll just explain it to you. His point was this. He was going to finish the course by God's grace, no matter what happened. This ministry he received from the Lord, and he was to testify solemnly 
of the gospel of the grace of God. The point is that that uh, is that what is of honor, I got that uh, typo there, or value to Paul is not his life, suke, which we would call soul, but to finish the race. Isn't that the truth? I hope that's true for every one of us. Do you know how many different things are threatening our lives right now? Lots. Yeah, diseases and persecution and the, the just horrible stuff going on in the whole world. But you know what we have? If we have eternal life, nobody can take that. It's just really bad. And the verb to testify is intensive. So it's martyr, uh, the word for martyrial plus a dia prefix. So it's intensive. Now, here's something else that we need to be aware about. So 10 years ago, January, I preached here to some of you for the first time. I hadn't preached in two years. And uh, I'm thanking God to allow somebody like me to be able to testify about him. Thank you. Uh, the, truth is, the truth is so valuable that even an old, old guy like me sharing it will do some good to somebody. Peterson says this, Luke makes the point that both Peter and Paul shared the same gospel of God's grace. That's another thing. You know what is just as bad? Dividing up everything. Peter has one gospel. There's a gospel for the Jews. There's a different one for Gentiles. This and this. And they make these divisions that the Bible doesn't make. And when that happens, it drives people over to a millennialism. Because they see that it doesn't add up. And they go join uh, the church that does the infant baptism and says the church is Israel. Whoops. And so that's wrong. So the, the grace of God, I, I did a printout on that. The, the grace of God, the gospel of grace was preached by Peter. So what I did was I pointed out grace every time I printed it out from the logo software, every time Karos, grace, is used in Acts. And it's in Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And God, or the Lord, added to their number day by day, day those who were being saved. So what did Peter preach? Repentance, faith, forgiveness of sins. He went through the Old Testament scriptures, same as Paul does. And so um, God adds people to the church. Take somebody like Mike Gender. What a blessing he's been to us. I'm honored to have known him over the years as he's shared he was here. And uh, he goes into Catholic churches because he knows God has people there. And they'll be added. But what were they added to? In Acts 2.47, they were added to the church. But they didn't have a building. They were just a people. It's not a sin to have a building, but it's a sin to believe the building itself is a church. It's just a structure. You can be in homes, 
You can meet out in a park. You can meet in a building. It doesn't matter where. It's just who and by what means. In Acts 4.33, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Acts 6.8, I'm just looking at where grace is used in Acts. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Acts 7.10, and rescued him out of all of his affliction and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh. That's a that's part of Stephen's speech. Acts 7.46, who found favor in the sight of God, or grace. And so this was continued throughout Acts. So is the gospel of grace one that Paul preached, and then the others had a different gospel? Paul's trip to Jerusalem was to make sure that didn't happen. That you have a Jewish church with a different gospel headquartered in Jerusalem and Gentile churches scattered with some other gospel. It's all the same. That's why Galatians, Paul is so harsh in his rebuke when he rebuked Peter. There's going to be one church there's going to be one gospel. Now here are some of the things that the, we find here. I gleaned these from Dr. Schnabel has a great commentary on Acts. I highly recommend it. Schnabel. Okay, here's Paul's life of gospel ministry. It's, it is a course. Now, the word course there, dramas, would be like a race in a stadium. He's in a race. He wants to finish it. And whatever that means, he's going to continue and finish the race. And so I think we should look at our lives that way. It's a ministry of service, using the word diakonia, where we get our word for deacon. The finish is teleao, so you complete the race. You don't want to not make it to the end. It's received by the, from the Lord. It's a ministry of bearing witness. There's that diamaturomai. That's a, a intensified word for witnessing. And the gospel of grace is the content. So that's what's revealed in that verse. Now, I did a summary slide. I want to cover that while we're here. Acts 20, 24b, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Now, if you look ahead, I've printed out for myself here the entirety of Paul's speech in Miletus to the Ephesian elders. There's repeated themes. Don't make distinctions when there are none. So if you look at Acts 20, 24, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, and then we look later in 32, when he uh, entrusted this to the elders as he went, saying, I won't see you again. Acts 20, 32 and now I entrust you to God and to the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. This is not about building a kingdom here and now. It's about an eternal inheritance. And 
So the message of grace. And if you also look at Acts 20, 27, I did not shrink from proclaiming to you the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God. Bule, or bulamai, I think is the word. So these are synonymously parallel. Different ways of saying the same thing. The gospel of grace, I declared, I did not shrink from declaring anything that was profitable. I did proclaim the whole purpose of God. They're all saying the same thing in different ways. And what else should we be doing? He commends this to the elders in Ephesus. Now, if this is what elders are to do at that time, has the job description changed? No. And this is our baseline. This is our marching orders. And so this is thematic. Acts 20.32, Acts 20.24, and other passages. I found it interesting that that book, The Torch of the Testimony, pointed to Acts 20 as the key to understanding the basic church. That book says the real church history isn't the church history we read of the institutional church. It's the, church, it's the history of little groups gathering like this. That's all the way through intertwined. And that's church history. Here's another point that I intend to make. The church is not an institution. It's an organism. It's an organic whole with each member attached to the head. The institution, by the nature of it, will strangle the organism. Strangle the life right out of it. So it's happened. So I would say, if an elder or pastor thinks their role is to build an institution, they better go back to Acts 20 and think it again. Because if you build a really good institution, within two or three generations, it'll be dead. That's right. It's happened since the death of John, the apostle. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness. Pray for Eric as he preaches your word to us that we would listen and hear what you've said. And may we live accordingly. And we do pray for those who are suffering, that you bring help and comfort to each one. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.